CPI, PPI, soft landing, hard landing. How about a no landing? Welcome to Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We've got a lot to talk about. If you're one of the people that is working, but you don't have access to a 401k, no problem. You've got options. We're going to talk about that. Ask Annex is on the way. And toward the end of the show, 10 things to have on hand for efficient state planning. This is just a small example of what we do at Annex Wealth Management. And we're going to kind of unfold it as the next hour rolls through with investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. In the studio, Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Welcome. Thank you, Danny. Dave Spano, our President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Thank Welcome you, to you, Danny. Of course, there is certainly a lot of economic information, Danny, as you just began to talk about CPI and PPI and, you know, consumer price index and the producer's price index both gave us a lot of information this week. Some of it was a little disappointing, Derek. Right. It was, it was both numbers were a little bit hotter than expected, particularly the PPI, where we saw a 0.7% month-on-month increase after a down month-on-month number last month. In addition, we also saw a retail sales number this week that was better than expected, up about 6.4%. So the consumer continues to do well. Uh, inflation continues to be persistent. And the Atlanta Fed is forecasting 2.4% growth in Q1. So those that are waiting for a recession have more have longer to wait. And, of course, that just means that they could be pushing it down the road. You know, anytime that you've seen an inverted yield curve of this magnitude, we've seen a recession. So there is a likelihood... Uh, high likelihood that we could see something late 23 and 24 but as you point out the consumer continues to spend it could be in part that there's still a lot of transfer payments including the increase of social security of more than eight and a half percent right and i didn't realize there are 66 million americans that are getting social security so that's a significant voting block if you will or spending block i should say in addition the other thing with the labor market is you know it's so hard to find employees what it looks like is employers are hoarding folks now they may not be work in the 40-hour work week, but it's much easier to hold an employee than to have to retrain one if the economy were a rebound. So that seems to be also a reason for the stunning persistence in the labor market. And that might change, though, as, as the end of the year. And I do agree there's probably some employee hoarding going on. But all told, what it meant is that the 10-year Treasury began to spike on Friday. It hit as high as 3.9%, and that is a big move from where it's been. Right. Almost back to the highs we made in December when the stock market, as you know, was significantly lower. In addition, and this kind of blew my socks, I saw the six-month Treasury bill traded up to 5% today, which is the highest it's been since 2007, and compares pretty favorably to what the earnings yield is on the S&P, which is 5.08%. So fixed income, particularly on the short end of the yield curve, looks pretty attractive relative to where it's been in the past. You know, you talked about sticky inflation. Of course, we've been talking about this for a long time. And part of this is what another topic that we've covered for years, that at some point the bill is going to come due. The bill of excessive spending, and of course that driving up interest rates, it, that is really in front of us at the moment. Right, and when you're talking about the bill, you're talking about the Fed with quantitative easing and also the fiscal profligacy that's been going on in Washington, most recently a $1.7 trillion bill in December. Because as one of our research partners likes to point out, we have to refinance 50% of the of the debt in the next three years, and currently that debt is paying 1.8%, significantly different rate than what we're 
currently seeing. Yeah, so imagine tripling the interest rate that you pay on your loan at home, folks. That is what we're talking about doing on 50% of the incredible amount of debt that's out there. So that what that's going to do is going to crowd out a lot of things. It is Now, we're not saying this could happen, but you could be spending as much in a, in a country on interest on the debt as you do to defend the country. Right, and that's what some of the forecasts are suggesting. So there are clearly difficult choices ahead. And, you know, one of the things we try to do as an investment candidate is to kind of see around the corners. And if tax policy is going to change in the coming years, that has to be reflected in what we're doing with our portfolios. And so this is not the time to set it and forget it. And that doesn't mean that you don't have to stay the course. You really should consider how your portfolio is comprised. In other words, should you rebalance? Should you reevaluate your risk? Active versus passive investing. This all goes into what we do on a daily basis that is open to anyone who reaches out. When you listen to this show, you hear great examples of all of the teams that Dave has built over the years at Annex Wealth Management, our investment team, our retirement planning team, our tax planning team, our estate planning team. It's just a sample. Not until you are a client and working with Annex Wealth Management will you really feel the whole power. And we'd like you to do that. Head to the website this weekend. Click that Get Started button. Let's get the conversation going. Let's get you in shape for this year and beyond because it's going to be a rocky road at times. This is great information whenever you need it. The Week in Review available on demand this weekend. Our YouTube channel, The Axiom on Sunday mornings, Spotify at the top of the hour. Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Saturday, February 18th. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. If you really like info about the markets, our investment committee, make sure you check out our SWAT podcast. That's available on demand on Spotify, Monday mornings, usually mid-morning, 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. Easy list in about 15 or 20 minutes. You can learn a lot and kind of get a glimpse into how we think. We put together a very, very powerful investment committee. Many firms will have it emailed to them what they're going to do. Not us, not at Annex Wealth Management. Also sign up for the Axiom, which is our free weekly newsletter. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer in the studio. Dave Spano is President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks, Danny. You know, Derek and I had a nice conversation in the last segment. It really got me to thinking about what we really know at this point. What we do know is that we are not in a recession, and perhaps we have hit peak inflation. There's a couple of things that we can rely on when we hear that information. Well, well, certainly. And one of the things about peak inflation is it will affect margins because in some ways, companies, as they've grown their revenues over the past year, benefited in varying degrees from increasing prices. I've noticed, you know, how sticky beer prices are, for example. I don't think they're going down anytime soon. Uh, but on the on the flip side, though, interest expense and labor expenses, were, which are a significant cost for many companies, are going up. So we expect margins to be under some pressure. And historically, when margins are other pressure, it's difficult for stocks to make much headway. And so, of course, we had a down year in 2022, and what you're suggesting that is 2023 is going to be difficult as well, and that's why it really means what do we know? And, of course, if inflation is peaked but sticky, that is something that we have also talked about because of so many things that go into sticky inflation. You talked about jobs opening twice as many as those seeking geopolitical risks, the Fed fighting the federal government. All of this means that inflation might stay higher than we'd like. Well, and also, I mean, just if you look around the world, our relationship with China exported uh, disinflation in the United States. But as more and more companies onshore, in order to protect our national security's interests, you'd expect prices of those goods 
begins to go up somewhat. You also see situations with M2. M2 grew at 40% just yep. a year ago, and that takes many a lot of time to filter through. Yes, M2 growth has slowed dramatically, but there's still a lot of cash in the system that is trying to find a place to park. I agree with that. And, of course, you talked about pressure on margins. And what that really means is, you know, we talk about this a lot, but the S&P 500 has uh, earnings from each one of those 500 companies, and in aggregate they come up to a certain number. The current thinking is about $225 for the whole S&P 500. Now, what multiple you're willing to pay for that is really the, the big question. And of course, can you can you make an argument that you're going to have margin expansion from where we are today? That's a tough sell. Right. And, and, and historically, when you have inflation around the 4% level, the market is typically traded at 6 to 17 times earnings. Right now, it's trading at 18.5. So that suggests there's a possibly perhaps 10% downside from here, which would get us to right around 3,700 or so above the October below, but certainly something would make people uncomfortable and something we're positioned for as an investment committee. And I think that's really where I was going with this. How are you positioned? You know, do you have enough cash in your portfolio? What are your fixed income assets doing for you? Because, of course, as interest rates go up, it's an opportunity set. And that's where I'd like to spend some time is really on, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about stocks, but what about the bonds and people's portfolios? Well, the bonds, I mean, for example, now that, you know, duration has been a, a detriment recently as interest rates have risen up to 3.9%, as you mentioned. Uh, so long-dated treasuries are, and, and corporate bonds are looking better. Uh, the yields you can get in the high-yield market are 6 7%. Uh, the odds of default are much lower, so you can have a bit, bit of a credit bet. But you've got to be careful because if the economy were slow dramatically after all of this monetary tightening, you could see a surge in defaults, and that could lead to problems in the high-yield market. Yeah, one more sector that I do want to cover, of course, is energy. And, uh, you know, crude oil closed on Friday in the 70s, and we were expecting that it would go the other way. But, of course, we just saw a crazy uh, headline the other day that said the Strategic Petroleum Reserve had more sent out this week. Yeah, they've been they've been putting downward pressure on gasoline prices. I thought that was an election year stunt, but apparently they continue to believe that oil prices are going lower and they're going to be able to buy it at a lower price. I'm not sure that's true. China is reopening. We know that. Uh, and Chinese oil demand is down substantially from where it was pre COVID, and they've essentially been shut for three years, so no one really knows the magnitude of that future demand. Dave, maybe what they're going to do is what most guys do, is you wait till it's just sitting on E. Yeah, right. The, right. Exactly. Drive around. <laughs> yeah. Wait till you get to the next gas station. That's how right. guys do it. Uh, listen, if we can help, head to our website. It's AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. You need the wealth metric process. Not everyone has access to a 401k for retirement saving, but there are options, and we're going to cover them next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? You know, we talk a lot about 401ks, but not everybody has access to a 401k. There are more than 70 million gig workers in the United States who don't. 401ks are great, but what happens when you don't have access? Fred Coleman is a CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. He's going to walk us through it. Welcome to the show, Fred. Thanks, Danny. Okay, no 401k but you still want to work towards saving money for retirement. If that's the case, I guess maybe the first place we start is the old traditional IRA. Yeah, if you're an independent contractor or your employer doesn't offer a 401k, then it's up to you to fund your own retirement. An individual retirement account, also known as an IRA, can be the next best alternative because it offers significant tax advantages. 
Not only can you receive a tax deduction in a year you contribute to the account, but also your contributions will grow tax deferred. This means you will not pay tax on the contributions or the earnings until you choose to withdraw the money or when you're required to start withdrawing at age 73. In addition, there are no income limitations to open in a traditional IRA, which means no matter how much or how little you make, you can open an IRA and start contributing immediately. You should also know that the maximum annual contribution for traditional IRAs is $6,500 if you're under age 50 and $7,500 for those 50 and older. So good vehicle, right? I mean, the tax advantage, right, drops your taxable income and then it grows. So that's great. Investing for retirement without a 401k, there are options. The next up is the Roth IRA, the cousin, right? Yeah, yeah. The Roth IRA is another great vehicle. With Roth IRAs, the contributions are not tax deductible. This means you won't get a tax break when you make contributions. However, when you withdraw the money during retirement, the contributions can be withdrawn tax-free. The contributions that you make into the Roth can always be withdrawn without penalty, and as long as you satisfy the five-year holding period and you're at least 59 and a half years or older, then the entire account, including the earnings, can come out tax-free. When we work with clients to develop distribution strategies, oftentimes we'll use Roths to help minimize taxes you'll pay over your lifetime. And they're also great for estate planning because you can pass tax-free assets to your heirs. Maximum contributions for Roths are also 6,500 if you're under age 50 and 7,500 for those 50 and older. However, your eligibility to contribute directly to a Roth may depend on your income. A wealth manager can help you determine your maximum contribution to a Roth and if it's the best type of account to use when it comes to saving for retirement. You know, a lot of times people, I think they hesitate on that because I don't want to pay the taxes now, right? Do you find that? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And and that's something you got to you gotta run the numbers and crunch the numbers to see what's best. Yep. We're with Fred Coleman, a CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. If you're not eligible for a 401k, either because your company doesn't offer it or you're a gig or freelance worker, there are options most in the audience know what IRAs and Roth IRAs are. What's this SEP IRA? Yeah, if, if you're self-employed or you freelance, you can use the earnings to open a SEP IRA. With a SEP IRA in 2023, you can contribute the lesser of 66000 or 25% of your net self-employment earnings for the year. The maximum compensation that can be considered is 330000 of income. The contributions are tax deductible, they grow tax deferred, and the disbursements won't be taxed until retirement. Aside from the high contribution limits, one of the best features of the SEP is the flexibility. When you have a side hustle or a business, your income can fluctuate. So committing to making contributions to a retirement plan every year can be difficult because you don't know what exactly your income will be for the year. We recommend SEPs sometimes for self-employed individuals because of the ability to look back at your income for the prior year. So let's say you had a really great year in 2022 and then you go to file your taxes and you realize you have a high tax bill, you can still make deductible contributions into the SEP up to the tax filing deadline. This gives you the unique ability to be able to look back, lower your taxable income for the prior year without making that upfront commitment to contribute. That's pretty handy. You know, most of the time, Fred, when people hear 401ks, there's a company-sponsored plan, but those who aren't in traditional jobs, there is that thing called the solo 
401k. How's that one work? The solo 401k is for self-employed or 1099 contractors who don't have access to any other 401k plan and you don't have any employees outside of your spouse. It offers some of the same tax advantages as a regular 401k, but as a self-employed individual, you can make contributions as both the employer and the employee. As the employee, you can contribute the elective deferral maximum of 22500 in 2023. And as the employer, you can add an additional 25% of your adjusted gross income for a maximum contribution of 66000 In addition, you can tack on another 6500 if you're over age 50. I guess the point here is that if you are in a line of work that you don't have a 401k, do something. Absolutely. You got to do something and you got to do something early enough that you can slowly build it up, right? I would think that that's something you talk about with clients quite often. Yeah, early and often. And the sooner you start, you know, the more you're able to compound and, and the more options that you'll have. Yeah, cool. Folks, nobody's the same. That's why we tailor what we do with our clients to them in their situations. No sales contests here, just advice from fee-only fiduciaries. Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Fred Coleman is CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for jumping on. All right. Thanks for having me, Danny. Saturday, February 18th, it's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Bottom of the hour and time for a quick check of news. And for that, we head to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Back, and it's time for Ask Annex. As always, you've got a question for us, please head to our website. It's AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. We get back to everybody. We need your permission to go on the radio, and if you don't want to, that's fine. We'll just keep that internal. Sarah Kyle's a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. She's here. Hey. Hey, Danny. Let's welcome in Trevor Narge, a senior trader at Annex Wealth Management. Good to see you. Hello. Trevor is a regular guest on the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast, if I want to put a plug in for that. First question is from Anthony. I have a full-time job with full health care coverage and plan on continuing to work. Should I sign up for Medicare to avoid any penalty, even though I do not want or need it now? It's my understanding that I should not. I turned 65 in a week and a half. Many thanks. Well, happy early birthday, Anthony. So the first thing is to ask your employer to see if you even need to sign up for Part A and Part B when you turn 65. Generally, if your employer has at least 20 employees and you are still working and covered under that qualified group plan, when you do turn 65, you can delay the enrollment in Medicare. But at a minimum, signing up for Medicare Part A is best practice since it is free and you will get some coverage for hospital-related costs. However, this is a big however, this only makes sense if you aren't contributing to an HSA. So once you sign up for Medicare, you are no longer eligible to contribute to one. And you know what? It's a good idea just to run the numbers. Make sure your employer, if your employer plan isn't heavily subsidized by the employer, it may make sense to get on Medicare. So figure out what you're paying, what your benefits look like under your group plan, and compare that to Medicare, taking into account the cost of everything from premiums to co-pays to deductibles. That's the way we think. Let's go to Karen's question. What does risk mean in investing? Yeah, so that's a fantastic question, right? Risk can be defined by a, a plethora of different things, right? There's all different types of subsets of risk in investing, but the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, so that's commonly referred to as FINRA, but they define risk as any uncertainty with respect to your investments that has the potential to negatively impact your financial welfare. So like I said, right, there's different components to risk. You got systemic risk, interest rate risk, liquidity risk, so on and so forth. But in short, risk is viewed by many as the potential for loss of capital. Now, 
some people will take volatility and they'll group that and risk together. But volatility really pertains more to the range of price movements in securities over a certain time frame. You know, risk, on the other hand, that should be thought of from more of a long-term standpoint. So in properly functioning markets, participants should be compensated with higher returns for the higher levels of risk that they take. Sarah, do you find that risk tolerance is like, is that a gut thing with people? <laughs> well, it's definitely a measure if you can sleep at night. Yeah, yeah. You know, we always talk about the tolerance versus the capacity in your portfolio. And they're so, different. In your plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Next question is anonymous. What are the most common types of bridge insurance if I retire early? I have two years before being eligible for Medicare. Well, the most common bridge is Obamacare, but that depends on income. So some people choose to do COBRA because it's actually cheaper. You have to weigh that. Mm -hmm. But the exchange or the Obamacare, right. Okay. And our final question is also anonymous. How rare is it to hold on to stock for years or even decades? Isn't that what Warren Buffett does? Yeah, this is a great question. It's always fun to, you know, talk about Warren Buffett here and there. So for starters, it really depends on one's time horizon and what they're looking to accomplish with their portfolio. You know, for some people, buying and holding makes a lot of sense. Whereas for others, a more hands-on approach can help in navigating different market environments. Over time, according to a study done by Reuters, the average investor's holding period of shares on the New York Stock Exchange has actually fallen quite a bit over time. It's really been driven by the emergence of algorithms, high-frequency trading, you know, lower commissions and fees on trades, shorter company life cycles, and in general, you have people who are focused a lot more on kind of the short-term performance. You know, back in the late 50s and the early 60s, the study that I just mentioned, that showed that the average holding period for a stock was actually around five to eight years, and we've seen a steady decline in that holding period over time. Now, the average holding period for a stock on the New York Stock Exchange is sitting at about five and a half months. So to get at the first part of that question, right, it's become more uncommon to take the buy and hold approach. Sarah, do you find sometimes after a potential client has gone through the the, the analysis of what they have that there are stocks in their portfolio that they've had forever? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't? Yeah, sometimes, you know, these legacy holdings that they are emotionally attached to, um, that they want to keep in the portfolio, there's some sort of emotional attachment, and that's, that's okay. But we just don't want it to be an over-concentration with these individual positions that they want to keep because then that can really affect their performance. Right. That's And that would be for a regular stock, but it's a little different with a company stock maybe that they work for, but then that that's another thing. Yep. That's a whole nother segment. Whole nother th- segment and mm-hmm. a whole nother thing we can help you with for investment and retirement planning, tax planning and estate planning. We do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Trevor Nargis is a senior trader and part of the investment committee at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, guys. And Sarah Kyle, wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. My pleasure. 10 important estate planning documents to have. That's next after a break on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Joe Martin is a wealth strategist and an estate planning attorney at Annex and is back. Welcome. Thanks. You want to do your loved ones a favor? Have your estate planning documents in good order. Spare them the hours that it could take to track this stuff down. Got a 10-point list. There's a lot to go over, so we're going to go over pretty quick with Jill. First on the list, the classic, The Last Will and Testament. Absolutely. You know, everyone should have one of these, even if you have $1,000 to your name when you pass away. We still need some instructions on where that stuff is going to go, and the last will is kind of that first place that people look at. Next up, revocable living trust. Now, is that for everybody? 
A revocable living trust is for a lot of people because what happens is you rely on that last will to dispose of your assets, we're going to end up in probate court. So we use revocable trusts or living trusts to help try and bypass the probate process to distribute assets. So it's really a great technique for anybody. It doesn't have to be that you're only the ultra high net worth or the really, really rich and famous that need a trust. Here's one that's incredibly important. Make sure your beneficiary designations are who you want them to be. Oh, this is a great one because what happens is is so many times we see that people don't understand that just because my will says I leave something to my three kids, your beneficiary designations override your last will or your revocable living trust. So you want to make sure that everything's aligned. This really comes into play with second marriages, things like that, where it can kind of get dicey if you forgot about that old 401k plan. Classic story, the ex-wife. Yes, Yeah, there you go. Next up, the advanced health care directive slash living will. Is that the same thing as a health care power of attorney? Yes. So they're called different things depending on which state you're located in and whichever statute governs it. A health care power of attorney advanced directive is where you're naming someone to make your health care decisions when you can't. A living will or a declaration to health care providers is something where you're checking some boxes to tell them exactly what you want to have happen if there isn't someone that can make those decisions for you. So it's a little different. Many times when somebody goes into an assisted living facility. They're that's required for sure. to yeah, have those. There you go. Absolutely. We're with Joe Martin, wealth strategist and estate planning attorney. The 10 things to have in order with your estate plan. Financial power of attorney is next. That's a big one, right? So what happens is, is any financial institution is not just going to talk to your spouse or to your kids because they're your kids. There needs to be a legal document that protects the financial institution, but also gives those children the authority to transact on your behalf possibly overlooked, but very important insurance policies and financial information, of course, right? Yeah, and we're not just talking life insurance, right? A lot of people think estate planning and we're thinking life insurance, but it's also your homeowner's insurance, your umbrella policy, your health insurance, right? People need to know where that stuff is, right? Everybody has that annual Medicare renewal that they come through with their supplemental insurance. If all of a sudden you're not able to do that, you need to have your family members know where that is and how to proceed. This one was a little bit of a surprise. Proof of identity documents. It's second nature. We just assume that we can prove our identity. But a lot of times stuff gets lost as we get older. Where was that birth certificate? We don't necessarily know. That marriage certificate or that divorce decree, right? A driver's license. If we don't drive anymore, do we still have a state-issued ID? It's important to have all that stuff, including the Social Security card. Here's another one that might be easy to miss. Titles and property deeds in order. Yeah, so this one kind of goes to those beneficiary designations and how we have assets titled. It helps make sure that we know exactly what's going to happen on those properties when you pass away. Similar to that beneficiary designation or if you own something jointly with someone else, those can override that last will or that trust. So it can be unintended if we don't know what those are. Here's a modern age one, and this is really important digital account logins and passwords. Yeah, so you know, there's all sorts of things out there where you can set up legacy instructions, like who can take over your online account after you pass away, those types of things. But back when I did a state settlement, exclusively, right? You'd forward the mail. And guess what? As the executor, I could see all the mail that that person was getting. I knew what bills they were having, right? Think about it today. How many of us get all of our bills in an email? 
And if somebody all of a sudden passes away, if we don't know the password to their email address, how are we ever going to know what bills are out there? Having information about what's your email addresses, what are your passwords, but then also all of the financial accounts that you get all of your information electronically exclusively through. We need to know where that is. And the 10th, our final one, funeral instructions and wishes. Yeah, that one is probably something that people think about, but maybe they don't write down. We know that we want to have this burial or we've bought a plot at this cemetery. It's just important to make sure we're communicating that to someone, even if it's not verbally written down. And I don't know that it's required that you prepay or you pre-plan or you've done a lot of that, but at least have a plan that you've talked to your loved ones about. Where do you keep all this stuff? Do you have to house it in one place? It would be a good idea. It's helpful to keep it all in one place, but sometimes you also want to be cautious about dividing and conquering it so that your financial life isn't all in one place. So if someone gets it, it's kind of the chicken and the egg thing. You got to have it all, but do you really want to have it all in one place? It's important. It's also important to share that information with somebody else. Jill Martin, wealth strategist and estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. You're welcome. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. We're back. Quick reminder, this show is going to be on Spotify at the top of the hour. So if you came in partway through it, you want to hear the whole thing on demand, that'd be great. Just go to Spotify, search Annex Wealth Management. we got a bunch there. Also, the Axiom, our free weekly newsletter, our YouTube channel, really good with over 1,500 videos that we produced at our Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. One of the things that you can see on the Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel is Tom Parks and the What's That series, and he is now in the studio. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me, Danny. Don't want to talk about what's that. I just want to put a plug in for you, but you're our head of our retirement plan services team. We're deeply involved with many, many companies to help build and maintain great retirement plan services. That we are, and there's a lot to it, Danny. There is a lot that goes in it, not only the qualified plan itself, be it a 401k or a SEP or any plan that you have, but if you are a participant in those plans as well, you know, a lot of times you're not only talking to the plan sponsors, but the participants as well. And we've seen a lot of set it and forget it in these qualified plans these days. And tell us a little bit about how you counsel the members of the plan. Like you said, Dave, we're talking both to the employers, trying to help them with their fiduciary responsibilities, but ultimately the plan is all about the employees and preparing them for retirement. And you're right, a lot of people have done set it and forget it with the advent of target date funds. First it was risk-based portfolios and then it graduated to target date funds. And a lot of people do set it and forget it, which is kind of the idea with target date funds. But we encourage people to to take a closer look and make sure that the investment makeup of their portfolio is really the right thing for them. So so a lot of conversations So let me ask you, if they don't have a target date fund, they sometimes have this whole menu, be it 30, 40 choices. How do they go through that process and decide how they should be allocated? Yeah, and we do come across that, and that's where the the set it and forget it can be kind of dangerous. Because as you know, if you set, let's just say, a 60-40 portfolio, as the underlying assets grow and the, the market fluctuates, you end up down the road with no longer having that risk profile. So two things. First are make sure that you are looking at your underlying portfolio construction. Which are the funds that are in your plan? You know, which ones are you using? Have there been new ones added? Have maybe some of the funds that you're in been taken out? Because right. that happens. You and know, a lot of times time. in time you've seen it, just someone pokes their head over a cubicle and says, Sally, how are you invested? And maybe I should do the same. Oh, Dave, we see that far more often than we would like. You know, the, the you come across an allocation and all of a sudden you're like, okay, clearly somebody was talking about this in the lunchroom or something. I've got my hand raised when I was a young pup. That's how I did it. You, you, there was somebody that was older and they must know more. 
Yeah, it, don't get me wrong. It's it's better to be invested than not, but it's better to be mindful of your investments uh, than, than to just kind of set them and then not think about them over time because markets do change. The other thing is your risk tolerance, your goals change over time. So we're not saying that you need to be looking at this every month or every quarter, but at least once a year, take the time to go in there, see what you've got and make sure that you're still on track. And so a lot of the providers, uh, did, how does someone go through and measure their risk tolerance? That's that's a big question that we hear a lot is I'm in the plan and I'm, I'm at a certain age, therefore I should be a moderate investor. That doesn't take in all the facts and circumstances of that particular investor. No, it does not. And when we talk about target date funds, I I always use my wife and I as an example because we're the same age and theoretically then we would be in the same target date fund because it's based on you know approximately when you're going to retire but my wife and I have different risk tolerances uh, we have similar goals thankfully because we're married but when you know you're looking at the the tools online most of the providers have very robust tools we obviously use riskalyze at annex to, to help people with that but no matter who your provider is there's going to be some sort of tool some are better than others but they're all better than nothing to go and give you a sense of, okay, where are you at in this journey and uh, at least push you in the right direction. And then lastly, and of course, if you're listening to this and maybe your plan is substandard, how would people go about getting a second look? We take a look at people's accounts all the time here at Annex and looking at their individual accounts. I actually have some tools online because of being in the business. We've got access to some pretty cool stuff where we can do some analysis. It's really, a, a, first of all, is, is recognizing what's going on and then talking to the people at your company who are in charge and just asking some questions of them because it might not be at the top of their priority list. And that's really that's really the question. If you are a plan provider, if you own a company, you're the HR director. Easiest thing to do there, Dave, is to reach out and give us a call. We can do most of the heavy lifting for you. Like you know, we are fiduciaries, so we're going to do what's in best people's in, in people's best interest and show you what you've got. Hey, I don't know if you guys noticed, but uh, hiring is still on fire, right? right? And, you know, I hear a lot of radio commercials, and they'll be talking about the job, and they'll be talking about the company, and right at the end, I'm nearly certain every single company worth their salt will say, we 401k. have a 401k plan because it's a great benefit. Well, it's important, and, and for, you know, the 22, 25-year-olds that are listening out there, Boy, it's important. And get in there and get in there early. If you're a parent of one of those 22 or 25-year-olds, you got to get them going on this. But if you don't have a 401k in place, you got to. Job applicants are much more sophisticated than they used to be. They're not just looking at the wage. They're looking at the whole package. Retirement is something that's on everybody's mind because of what's going on with Social Security, the economy, all that stuff. Can't let it go. If you're a participant, and even if you're at the end of your uh, working time, right, you're, you're starting to think about fishing and golfing more often, that is a good participant as well. Dave Spano was our president and CEO. Thank you very much. Nice show again, Danny. Folks, in this last hour, just a small glimpse of what we do. We talked about 401ks, Ask Annex. We had lots of our teammates on here. Just now, 10 things to have on hand for efficient estate planning. Head to our website. We can help. Before we let you go, let me ask, when you're deciding on your investment and retirement planning, whose interests are your advisors working for? It needs to be you. If you're not feeling it, it's time to change. We're going to be back here next Saturday at 10. Hope you can join us. If not, find us on Spotify. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ.